Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Robots Radio presents... You're listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast, the best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons & Dragons. Vecna is the secret whispered in the dark. The deathbed confession that topples an empire. The lost spell fragment that can shackle the mortal races forever. As the god of destructive and evil secrets, he waits in hidden places, unearthing dark knowledge and horrible, long-buried things to further the goal of taking the world for his own. And from there, all worlds and planes of existence. A thousand years ago, he ruled as a lich but was betrayed in a moment of crisis by his vampire lieutenant Cass. Long thought destroyed, but still feared more than any living being, he nurtured this legacy with artifacts formed of his own hand and eye. Only in recent times has he achieved godhood, giving him limitless fuel for his ambition, his desire to dominate all things. Mortals fear to speak his name, and even the gods are cautious in dealing with the archlich. Long used to immortality, Vecna is never rash in his plans, every detail calculated to his advantage. The main lord knows every secret, and he plans to use each in turn until all of creation bows before him. Hello and welcome to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. My name is Sergio. I will be your host this week. Unfortunately, we will be missing Crit as he is... Um, taking care of uh, family issues with some health issues. We want to send um, him and his family all the best and a speedy recovery. Uh, We miss you, Crit, and we want you back in the tower. We love talking lore with you. But again, you know, there's, uh, you know, you you got to, you got to take care of what's, what's most important and we don't fault him for that at all. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and, and jump back into into Vecna. Last week, when we left off, we had covered the origins of Vecna all the way back in original Dungeons and Dragons, and going through advanced D and D, sort of how he became um, the Vecna that we that we all know and fear today. And when we when we left off, he had just escaped the do- his uh, his domain of dread, Cavidius, and made his way. Uh, into Sigil, and from Sigil tried to take over the multiverse, had a plan in action to do just that, um, and in the Die, Vecna, Die adventure, which pretty much ends advanced D&D, you know, the, 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 the party uh, is, is uh, tasked with stopping Vecna's plans, and um, as we stated in last week's episode, you know, the, the, the consequences and the ramifications the repercussions of what happens in that adventure. Uh, there's some headcanon that they use that to explain the differences between AD&D and third edition, not just in uh, only game mechanics, but also in lore, which is very cool. I always love stuff like that. So let's go ahead and dive into 
Vecna in the third edition and in 3.5. So at this point now, Vecna is now a member of the core pantheon. He is a lesser god. He is um, included amongst the likes of Pelor and Nerul and Bakav. He is a god. He is, in the, granted, he is a lesser god, but he is now a god. He is a deity. He is the god of secrets. He is a neutral evil, which before he was a lawful evil. So that's a small but significant change to the character. He is known as the maimed lord, the whispered one, and the master of all that is secret and hidden. Vecna rules that which is not meant to be known and that which people wish to keep secret. The domains that he is associated with are evil, knowledge, magic, and later on, in the edition later on in, in subsequent books he uh, adds madness to his portfolio he usually appears um com- you know as as he's um, historically been known uh, as a lich who is missing his left hand and his left eye his uh, you know as we all know he lost his hand and eye in a fight with his traitorous lieutenant Cass. and it also indicates that vecna's favored weapon is the dagger he is uh, being a uh, you know a wizard, a former wizard himself, uh, he, obviously he is worshipped by wizards and sorcerers as well, and also rogues, which makes sense because rogues are little sneaky, little sneaky sneaks. Uh, so that sort of you know plays into the whole like secret thing. You know, rogues, if you're trying to get, um, you know, if you're trying to have someone like break into some uh, into a castle or into some sort of um, uh, home, some sort of dwelling and uh, you know, sort of sneak around and try to find information that could be used against uh, whoever lives there. Uh, you know, a, a rogue would be, your, would be your best bet. And it would make sense if they're doing that sort of job that they would worship Vecna. The living Greyhawk Gazetteer further elaborates Vecna as a lesser god whose areas of concern are destructive and evil secrets and also adds the quarterstaff as another favorite weapon. So you've got the dagger and the quarterstaff. I always, uh, always paid attention to this sort of thing, especially when creating characters. You know, I, yeah, there's not much, uh, you know, it's really just flavor, just really just seasoning. I've got a character that worships a particular deity using uh, one of that deity's favorite weapons uh, I always try to do that, just like I said, just to add a little bit of seasoning and flavor to my character. I'm all about that. Uh, furthermore, the Deities and Demigods source book from 3.5 indicates that Vecna is at home on the material plane. So whatever sort of shenanigans, tomfoolery took place in advanced D&D, you know, regarding the Domains of Dread or Sigil are either finished, you know, settled, or they have been retconned completely. Uh, Deities and Demigods goes on to say, quote, Vecna plots the destruction of the other deities so that he may take the world for himself. According to Vecna, there exists a secret that can destroy any being, no matter how powerful that being is. In the middle of every heart hides a seed of darkness kept hidden from all but the self. Finding that secret evil and exploiting it is the key to undoing one's enemies. Strength and power, says Vecna, comes from knowing and controlling what others do not. So that's 
they really double down on the whole secret aspect of Vecna, you know, as far as, you know, he, that, that portion that, that per, like that part of his personality uh, is really amplified. And if you're playing in a campaign with Vecna as one of the antagonists, you know, having, if you're, if you're DMing that campaign, having your players come up with, you know, a secret that no, no one that, you know, that, that, that they have to reveal to the DM, but obviously is not known by anyone in the game uh, would be really cool to, to use as, um, as like a role-playing or as even as a story hook, you know, um, a, that, that secret could be revealed through um, failed checks, like failed bluff checks or, or persuasion checks, you know, perhaps uh, they let something slip, um, you know, amongst, uh, amongst the party, you know, they get a little too comfortable or perhaps, you know, their, their lives sort of get tangled up and they, and they say one thing, you know, one day when they said something else, the other, and that sort of, um, that sort of like raises the eyebrows of, of whoever's listening and, and the secret gets revealed that way. And as a result, you know, that secret uh, becomes known to Vecna. Uh, we get more information on his clerics and worshipers, also known as the cult of Vecna. Obviously, willing to do whatever is necessary to further Vecna's plan of domination is a crucial trait to possess. And you know, I can't I can't fault him for that. If I was a deity and I had worshipers, I'd want them to worship me wholeheartedly, you know, like no reservation. Um, but still, um, uh, that sort of like blind allegiance can definitely be a problem. Um, in fact, it is said that initiates into the cult of Vecna aren't actually even aware of the deity that they're serving to begin with. You know, the uh, when they start off, I guess there, there's sort of like half-truths and insinuations and sort of illusions of some obscure sect belonging to perhaps Bacab or Weejas, uh, sort of string them along until they prove that they are willing to do anything in pursuit of knowledge and in pursuit of power. And it's when they do in fact prove this uh, that they're told like, hey, actually this is a, we're, we're worshiping Vecna actually, but good news, you're, you're just the type of guy we like or gal, whatever, or creature, who knows. Um, but you know, once they do in fact prove that they will do anything to gain knowledge, to gain power, they then work to subvert governments. They then work to seduce good people, good folk to evil. They then work to plot Vecna's eventual control of the world. That is their one single-minded goal. You know, they can be found, uh, traditionally, they can be found all over the world, you know, depending, you know, that, that world would depend on whatever campaign, whatever particular campaign setting you're using. Um, but like most, uh, you know, D&D, like lore type stuff, uh, there, you know, it's, you know, it's, there's no um, like hard, fast rule that says you have to do it this way. Um, so perhaps in your campaign setting, Vecna's followers are not, you know, spread out throughout the world, whatever world that may be, but perhaps they're segregated to a particular part of the map in, uh, in your game uh, for one reason or another. Uh, perhaps they have been uh, run off from everywhere else, uh, or perhaps they have evidence that the uh, region or city or town or village that they are in is in fact the secret location of the once again lost hand and eye of Vecna. 
despite his followers uh, not having an official color. They're usually dressed in black, surprise, surprise, uh, sometimes red or gray, or even a drab brown. Uh, they obviously operate in secret, knowing full well that, you know, if they're found out, if they are exposed for what they're actually trying to do, it probably mean their death. But in their minds, that's that's the worthy end. You know, dying for Vecna is a worthy, it's a worthy death in their twisted minds. The clerics, aka the eyes of Vecna, in particular, uh, are isolated cells of cultists between six and two dozen. And in the book, it actually um, says between it's a it's forty six, so anywhere between six and two dozen. Uh, they seek dark arcane secrets to further their evil schemes. Temples to Vecna, such as the rumored Halls of Secrets, serve as bases and safe houses for his clerics. They're always well hidden. They're always warded against unauthorized entry. And they usually include vast archives of information, secrets that Vecna's clerics have uncovered over the centuries. One of the uh, oft-mentioned sayings that you could find uh, within one of those temples or amongst uh, cultists or clerics of Vecna is secrets never die. This is both a promise and a warning. The promise is that if a secret exists, it can be found and exploited. Even if the secret is supposedly destroyed, there is someone somewhere alive or dead who knew it and it can be learned again. In other words, there is always the opportunity to discover a secret. It just might take a little bit more work. Conversely, this is a warning that you can never fully bury a secret you wish to remain hidden. There is always the chance that someone somewhere might unearth it and use it. Even killing those who know it does not work, since, of course, as we know, magic can bring back people from the dead in many ways. This is a phrase often used in messages to those being blackmailed and as a reminder that they can never escape their past. Prayers are always whispered. Uh, sacred rites are never, ever, ever performed in front of others of a different faith. Um, one of those prayers, actually, one of those whispered prayers is known as the sacred chant, and it is uttered at the start and end of every single religious service in honor of Vecna. It is uh, said that um, initiates, like, you know, those starting to uh, enter the fold are forced to repeat the chant for hours until they enter a hypnotic state. It's also said that members of the faith who have committed some sort of transgression, some sort of sin toward Vecna, no matter how small, no matter how trivial, no matter how minute it may be, any sort of transgression, um, they have to scrawl the chant over and over, they have to write it, they have to scribe it uh, over and over in a book with their own blood as penance. That's so gnarly. I love it. Uh, and so what is the sacred chant? The sacred chant is thus. Vecna guide us. We whisper your name. We seek the knowledge. We find the secrets for power, for earth, for your will, for your rule. In the name of the hand and the eye, we opened our eyes to you. I can definitely see uh, how saying that over and over for hours on end would definitely uh, mess your mind up a little bit. Um, one of the most treasured possessions 
uh, within a temple of Vecna could be a copy of the Book of Vile Deeds. This is not to be confused with the similarly titled source book uh, that's in third and fourth editions, which do deal with some Vecna-like wickedness and do um, reference Vecna in several places. However, the, in, in game, like in world, this is a, a separate book that is contains all sorts of uh, like evil spells and um, evil summonings. Another would be the Book of Keeping, which is described as, quote, a tome of true evil. Some relics include the Dagger of Denial, the Tome of the Still Tongue, the Tome of Shared Secrets, the Rod of the Whispered One, and other various fragments of Vecna himself beyond just his left eye or his left uh, hand. The aim of the clerics of the cultists is to keep knowledge out of the hands of those undeserving to have it. And so at bare minimum, that would include, it would take the form of like a theft or even uh, burning a, uh, a book or a scroll from a personal library, like breaking into somebody's house and stealing a book or even burning it. But it, it's up to and including kidnapping and murder. So it definitely runs the gamut of criminal activity uh, you could be expected to do any number of things if you are in the cult of Vecna. You know, to join the eyes of Vecna, one must prove one's worth by stealing or destroying an item of forbidden knowledge, such as a rare tome or some sort of rare artifact. Uh, so essentially, if, if Advanced Dungeons and Dragons was where Vecna, as we now uh, know him, uh, it was molded and formed, you know, like that through that entire edition. Uh, he went from sort of just a, a spooky archlich to this sort of lesser god. If that was, you know, where that transformation took place, then third edition is definitely where that is codified. Like third edition really puts a stamp on who Vecna is and, you know, what to expect from him in a campaign as a character. And while, and, and we'll discuss this after the break, but Vecna in fourth and fifth edition, there are some changes, but they're mostly cosmetic, just like tweaks and like little tweaks here and there. Um, but as far as him being a lesser God that is bent on world domination, that is definitely put in place in third edition. So speaking of the middle of the show, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Welcome to the middle of the show. The middle of the show is where we take an opportunity to talk any D&D news that may have been announced or any minis, showcase any minis that have been announced that might be coming out, coming out soon. We also take this opportunity to spotlight some content on the DMs Guild, usually uh, connected somehow to the theme, to the subject of the week's episode, and this week will be no different. But before we do that, we also take the middle of the show to thank our patrons, to thank the folks, the fine folks who have gone to patreon.com slash D&D Lorecast and supported the show in a financial way, especially our two new patrons for this week, Matt S. and Peter M. Thank you so much for supporting us in a financial way. You know, like Crit and I have always said, we all the money that we get through the Patreon just goes toward the show to make it bigger and better for the fans. 
And like I said, you can go to patreon.com slash D&D Lorecast. We have tiers um, as low as $5 all the way up to 100 bucks, each of them with really cool um, bonuses and perks, uh, uh, including t-shirts, stickers, bonus episodes, uh, ad-free early episodes. Um, you can play a campaign with Crit and myself and other guests. You can, um, we can workshop uh, a campaign setting that you're building, or uh, you can, we can help you with your DM skills. You know, a lot of cool stuff there. Uh, painted minis, all sorts of like really cool and interesting stuff is available on our Patreon. And of course, if you are not in a position where you can uh, sign up for the Patreon, just listening is, is more than enough. Uh, you know, um, if you could go on to uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave us a five-star review, that would also be great. Or even just, um, you know, and, you know, ask or telling a friend about the show is, you know, is more than we could ever ask for. Just the mere fact that you're listening is just so humbling to us, to us both. Um, but yeah, again, thank you to uh, Matt S. and Peter M. for signing up. We, uh, we hope to hear from you soon in the D&D Lorecast Discord which is part of the, we're part of the Robots Radio Network. So we've got a text channel in the uh, Robots Radio Discord. Uh, we're always, we're always in there. We're always willing to help. We're always willing to talk. We're always willing to, to spread uh, some D&D memes. We love the D&D memes here at the Lorecast. Um, for as far as news goes, um, the Mordenkainen's uh, Multiverse of Monsters is coming out. The, uh, the Monsters of the Multiverse is the the standalone version is coming out next week on Tuesday. We've already covered it when it came out as part of the box set. So what we'll probably do is just repost that episode for those of you who are interested in getting it as a standalone copy. Comes out May 16th. So hit up your local gaming stores and pick yourself up a copy if you haven't already. And as far as minis goes, that's uh that's that's crit's domain. I've thought I've considered dabbling into minis as if you know I needed something else to obsess over um, I've also looked into a 3d printer so I could print my own minis so if you have any information on that have any any sort of like anything any guidance you can give me definitely hop onto the uh, hop onto the robots radio discord and let me know or you can email us at dndlorecast at gmail.com something I'm definitely looking into I've got a birthday and Father's Day coming up, so I'm kind of thinking. I'm thinking it might be uh, might be time for me to get a 3D printer. As far as the DMs Guild Corner of the Week pick this week, as stated before, like to um, start, try to stay as close to the topic as possible. Last week, I suggested the three modules that we that we talked about in the in the episode. From advanced D&D, they're available as PDFs on DMs Guild. Um, Vecna lives, Vecna reborn, and die. Vecna die. Those three are all. It's all official content, but so we like to stick with the homebrew. We're going so we're going back to homebrew this week with Rise of Vecna. This is a uh, about 124 page adventure from Scott McClintock, Mark Altfoldish, and Kathleen Harrington. This is part of their Doomed Forgotten Realms uh, sort of campaign. It's a uh, volume two of that. Um, this, this adventure will take you from level three to level 10. 
So you can definitely start off with this adventure and just start your players off at level three. Uh, you could also play the Academy of Adventure module that's also available from them, which is actually the first part of this. And that, that'll get you, uh, you know, through levels one and two. But Rise of Vecna stands alone and can be played on its own. Uh, and this is a really cool, like, um, sort of scenario. Like, I saw a couple of videos. Um, one of them was, uh, you know, talking about you know, sort of reviewing this. And one of them described it as like a what if, like a Marvel what if, which is a great way to, uh, you know, it's a great insight into how to view this. Imagine a world where Tiamat was summoned successfully, where the princes of elemental evil tread unfettered, where Demogorgons prowled the Underdark with the wand of Orcus, leaving an army of undead in his wake, where the storm giants have been cast to the bottom of the Ordin, where Baldur's Gate has been banished to the Nine Hells. Imagine a world where good has lost and evil has prevailed. So that's the sort of like the background of Doom Forgotten Realms. It's just sort of like this dark, you know, twisted version like uh, of, the, of the Forgotten Realms that we all know. And the Rise of Vecna is an adventure designed to take players from third level through 10th level. As they tread the dark paths of the Doom Forgotten Realms, their adventure will take them through multiple dungeon delves. They will discover familiar locations now change forever. And little by little, the darkest of plots will be unraveled. And so, like I said, this is a really cool way to play in a campaign setting that you probably are more than familiar with, but to still keep it fresh and keep it cool and keep it you know, unique. So yeah, Rise of Vecna uh, from, the, from the Doom Forgotten Realms campaign, available on DMs Guild for $9.99. We will have a link to it in the show notes. And of course, if you want to, if you're a member of the Robots Radio Discord, we'll also link to it, uh, you know, in our chat, in, our, in the D&D Lorecast chat. Definitely check it out. It looks freaking amazing. I definitely want to get a chance to play it. Um, you know, I, I've got so much stuff from Games Guild that, that I don't know that I'll ever get a chance to play, but it just looks so cool. I would love it. But yeah, so just definitely check it out. Links in the show notes. But that being said, let's go ahead and finish up, wrap up, and head to the end of the episode. Ah! Welcome to the end of the show. We're going to take this time to discuss Vecna in the 4th and 5th editions, as well as giving 5th edition stats for not only the eye and hand of Vecna, but also the sort of cast. So in fourth edition, Vecna becomes the evil god of undead and secrets and also necromancy. He commands his followers to A, never reveal all you know. B, find the seed of darkness in your heart and nourish it. Find it in others and exploit it to your advantage. And C, oppose the followers of all other deities so that Vecna alone can rule the world. Like I stated, like I stated previously, it's something that, you know, Vecna is, is pretty much codified in, in D&D. And this is, you know, there, there are tweaks, you know, they added, um, they kept, you know, that he is the god of secrets, but they've added undead and necromancy as well. They have uh, sort of, um, tweak the 
you know, that seed of darkness being being able to destroy the, you know that that secret that one secret being able to destroy anybody no matter how powerful they've expounded on that even further uh, furthermore in the open grave secrets of the undead source book fourth edition vecna is fleshed out a bit more and also um, cast the betrayer along with his eponymous sword make their first appearance since advanced dungeons and dragons cast uh, wasn't because of licensing issues cast was not in third edition DD. two of the most interesting changes are in his domain in vecna's domain and a significant modification to the cult of vecna itself so his domain like i said um used to be the material plane in in third edition uh it was you know very clearly stated that his he's lived in the material plane um however in fourth edition he's no longer exclusive to the material plane but rather vecna quote prowls the planes searching for secrets most often though vecna travels the astral sea visiting the dominions of old of dead old dead gods um so to me that just shows that like vecna is becoming even more powerful than he was before the they're sort of um, creating him to be not just, you know, um, an antagonist to mortals, but also an antagonist to other deities themselves. And as for the modification to his cult, you know, this is also from the Open Grave source book, quote, a new Vecna cult has recently arisen. The cultists believe that they are good and that they must commit evil to show the depravity and carelessness of all gods other than their Lord. The cult is currently in hiding, biding its time until Vecna has enough strength to make a play for power. So this is much more nuanced than before, you know, before, whereas before, you know, it was just evil for evil's sake. Now there's that sort of uh, justification of evil, you know, in, in the minds of the cultists, the minds of the followers, what they're doing is, is actually good. They're doing what's best for everyone else. And the only reason that they're committing these acts is, be, you know, is, you know, to further that, to, to enact that, you know, the, the ends justify the means sort of thing, which is to me a lot more interesting and more, you know, it's a more nuanced take on, on Vecna and his followers rather than just like, oh, they're just rotten. They're just rotten to the core. Um, so the leader of this new sect, the undead Mothrain, has gathered followers among the poor and the oppressed and the exploited and he fills their heads with this sort of twisted dogma, which paints Vecna as a champion of the downtrodden. It also says that the cult has gathered five of the seven ancient artifacts of Vecna with only his eye and hand remaining. Um, and I dug deep. I tried to figure out like what, because if you look in advanced D&D, you'll see that you know, there's the fingers of Vecna are considered artifacts uh, his scalp there's like close to a dozen different body parts that are um that are considered like artifacts from vecna uh but as far as fourth edition it says that there's that there's seven including the hand and eye um and that the new this new sect of the cult this new um version of the cult has five of them but beyond the heart i can't i couldn't figure out what the other four are so you've got the eye, the hand, and the heart. Yeah, I, I couldn't find out what the other four are. So if you have any insight into that, 
please let me know because I, I am dying to find out because I couldn't figure it out. And I researched and researched and still couldn't figure it out. And, um, but yeah, I, I would love to know what it is. Uh, DND Lorecast at gmail.com or the Robots Radio Network Discord DND Lorecast uh, channel. Which leads us to the fifth edition. So it carries over the Dawn War Pantheon from fourth edition. So several of those gods, several, several of the deities from that pantheon are universal, uh, like Corlon or Grumsh or Loth, the, the spider queen of the drow. You know, while others like Bane come from the Forgotten Realms campaign setting. And of course, Vecna comes from Greyhawk. So the Dawn War Pantheon is sort of like this collection, this amalgamation of different deities from different campaign settings and forms sort of like a catch-all. He is included in the Arcana domain and is also a possibility for warlocks to worship due to their otherworldly patron option as one of a handful of uh, undying patrons. So warlocks are now able to worship Vecna directly because of that, uh, because of that uh, that character uh, that class option uh, he's included um, in the final arc of critical roles first campaign so he's the main villain in the final arc of cri critical roles campaign setting but you know and i bring that up during while discussing vecna in the fifth edition because you know um you know it's uh, critical roles essentially was started off as a homebrew right started off like matt mercer created this this campaign setting called Alexandria. And it's a game that he played with his friends. Uh, but since Matt Mercer used the Dawn War Pantheon for Exandria, Vecna is included. Uh, and if you know, uh, we discussed this in Call of the Nether Deep. There are what's known as betrayer gods. These, these gods that uh, that fought against the other deities and then were thus, you know, expelled and then trapped. Uh, Vecna is one of those betrayer gods. Surprise, surprise! Like. He definitely does not um, does not uh, surprise us in, in the least that Vecna would be one of the betrayer gods. Um, but yeah, so he is in Exandria because, like I said, Matt Mercer uses that Dawn War Pantheon. And this is all, you know, this is all well and good for some nerdy voice actors. Homebrew campaign setting, you know, you can use your homebrew and you can use whatever you want. You can, you can, you can add characters, you can you know, remove characters, you can change characters. Um, you know, that is until the character Arcane the Cruel from the show, uh, played by Super Hunk and Super D&D nerd Joe Manganiello, actually shows up in an official D&D book. He shows up in Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus in, in that adventure. And so at this point, uh, you might think, you know, it's like, oh, it's like a, a playful nod and wink. You know, it's a, you know, it's a famous show. It's a popular show famous actor playing this character let's go ahead and include him um but the uh, the inclusion of the critical role campaign setting of exandria is further cemented by wizards of the coast publishing um the uh explorer's guide to wild mount and then the aforementioned call of the nether deep so this effectively makes in my opinion, Exandria, a setting within the official D&D multiverse of which Vecna is a main part of. You know, Vecna shows up as the main villain in the final arc of the first season, the first campaign of Critical Role. 
know, Vecna is, you know, no pun intended, well-versed in trying to destroy the multiverse. So I feel that, you know, this is just uh, another aspect of Vecna, you know, trying to do what he's been trying to do since you know, pretty much uh, the first edition, which is try to take over the world and try to take over the, the known multiverse as we know it. So that's, that's Vecna in the fifth edition. And as far as those, the hand and eye that we've talked and, you know, discussed for so long, you know, what are, what are they all about? What can they do? What, you know, what are they capable of? To attune to the eye of Vecna, you need to, the player needs to gouge out their own eye or the character needs to gouge out their own eye and then press the artifact into the empty socket. The eye grafts itself into your head and remains there until you die. Once in place, the eye transforms into a golden eye, not 007, uh, but instead with a slit for a pupil, much like that of a cat. And if the eye is ever removed, you die. Properties of the eye. So your alignment will change to neutral evil, regardless of where you're at before, and you gain the following benefits. You have true sight. Uh, you can use an action to see if you are wearing as if you were wearing a ring of x-ray vision. You must end this effect as a bonus action. It has eight charges. You can use an action and expend one or more charges to cast one of the following spells, which all have a uh, save a difficulty class of 18. Uh, Clairvoyance, Crown of Madness, Disintegrate, Dominate Monster, or Eye Bite. The eye regains 1d4 plus four expended charges daily at dawn. And each time you cast a spell from the eye, there is a 5% chance that Vecna tears your soul from your body, devours it, and then takes control of the body like a puppet. <laughs> if that happens, you become an NPC under the DM's control. I love all of this so much. Okay, so the hand. To attune to the hand, you must lop off your own left hand at the wrist and then press the artifact against the stump. This is what Archon the cruel did in the critical role. The hand grafts itself to your arm and becomes a functioning appendage. Appendage. If the hand is ever removed, much like the eye, you die. So properties of the hand. Your alignment changes to neutral evil. Again, once to, regardless of where you're at before. Your strength score becomes 20 unless it was already 20 or higher. Any melee spell attack you make with the hand and any melee weapon attack made with a weapon held by the hand deals an extra 2d8 cold damage on a hit. The hand, much like the eye, has eight charges. You can use an action and expend one or more charges to cast one of the following spells, also having a save difficulty class of 18. Finger of death, sleep, slow, or teleport. And each of these have various charges um, assigned to them, much like the spells with the eye, with the eye of Ekna. And each time you cast a spell from the hand, it casts the suggestion spell on you with a save DC of 18, demanding that you commit an evil act. The hand might have a specific act in mind or leave it up to you. Uh, that would be, I guess, like up to DM's discretion, whether or not, um, you know, the, the player decides what the evil act is or if the DM, um, either decides for them or leaves it up to chance. You know, maybe there's a, a, a table that they can roll from. Uh, again, the hand, much like the eye, regains 1d4 plus four expended charges daily at dawn. 
So those are the two properties when they are separately used. Now, if you are attuned to both the hand and the eye, you gain the following additional benefits. You are immune to disease and potion. Uh, using the eye's x-ray vision never causes you to suffer exhaustion. Your experience premonition of you experience premonition of danger, and unless you are incapacitated, you cannot be surprised. Pretty good for a rogue. Uh, if you start your turn with at least one hit point, you regain 1d10 hit points. So there's that regeneration that we all hate when we're fighting, uh, that we all hate in a monster or in a creature that we're, that we're fighting. Uh, if a creature has a skeleton, you can attempt to turn bones to jelly with a touch of the hand of Vecna. You can do so by using an action to make a melee, melee attack against the creature. You can reach using your choice of your melee attack bonus for weapons or for spells. On a hit, the target must succeed on a DC 18 constitution saving throw or drop to zero hit points. That's that's brutal. I mean, if you... if you are able to attune to both the hand and the eye that that's a TPK right there. That might be a little OP, but you know, if, if someone has the eye and hand of Vecna, it's either Vecna himself or someone comparable to Vecna and they're not someone to be messed with. So, you know, at this point, it's, you know, uh, this is some high level stuff right here. Obviously you don't want to throw uh, a, a group of fifth level adventurers <laughs> at someone who has both the eye and the hand of Vecna. And additionally, finally, you can use an action to cast a wish. This property can be used, cannot be used again until 30 days have passed. So also like super high level stuff, you can cast a wish once a month, you know, in game to destroy the hand and the eye of Vecna. If they're both attached to the same creature, and that creature is slain by the sword of Cass, both the eye and the hand burst into flame, turn to ash, and are destroyed forever. Any other attempt to destroy the eye or hand seem to work, but the artifact reappears in one of Vecna's many hidden vaults where it waits to be discovered. So that's one way if, um, if the party ends up fighting someone who has the eye in the hand of Vecna, whether it be Vecna himself or someone else, you know, not revealing or perhaps that information that it has to be, they have to be destroyed with the sword of cast, not revealing that could be a way to bring back those artifacts further, further along in the campaign. Because like I said, it, you know, it needs to be destroyed by the sword of cast. Otherwise they just seemingly get destroyed and then appear somewhere else. Speaking of the sword of cast, so once again, this, uh, this is a wondrous item which requires attunement. So random properties, the sword um, of Cas has the following random properties. It has one minor beneficial property, one major beneficial property, one minor detrimental property, and one major detrimental property. Uh, those, actually, those random properties also apply to the eye and hand of Vecna except it doesn't have the major detrimental property. It only has the minor detrimental property. So Spirit of Cass, while the sword is on your person, you add a D10 to your initiative at the start of every combat. In addition, when you use an action to attack with the sword, you can transfer some or all of its attack bonus to your armor class instead. 
The adjusted bonuses remain in effect until the start of your next turn. Spells. While the sword is on your person, you can use an action to cast one of the following spells, which have a DC, save DC of 18, call lightning, divine word, or finger of death. Once you use the sword to cast a spell, you can't cast that spell again from it until the next dawn. Sentience. The sword of cast is a sentient, chaotic, evil weapon with an intelligence of 15, a wisdom of 13, and a charisma of 16. It has hearing and dark vision out to a range of 120 feet. The weapon communicates telepathically with its wielder and can speak, read, and understand common. Personality. The sword's purpose is to bring ruin to Vecna, killing Vecna's worshipers, destroying the lich's works, and foiling his machinations all help to fulfill this goal. The Sword of Cass also seeks to destroy anyone corrupted by the eye and hand of Vecna. The sword's obsession with those artifacts eventually becomes a fixation for its wielder. And finally, to destroy the sword itself, a creature attuned to both the eye and the hand of Vecna can use the wish property of those combined artifacts to unmake the Sword of Cass. The creature must cast the wish spell and make a charisma check contested by the charisma check of the sword. The sword must be within 30 feet of the creature or the spell, spell fails. If the sword wins the contest, nothing happens and the wish spell is wasted. If the sword loses the contest, it is destroyed. So that will definitely that could definitely make for some really tense rolling right there. You know, someone Vecna or someone himself, someone other than Vecna that has both the eye and the hand uh, is confronted by someone wielding the sword of cast. They're pretty much face to face. And, you know, the wielder of the eye and the hand casts wish to unmake the sword, rolls his charisma check. Then whoever's wielding the sword of cast has to roll their charisma. And Depending on that, the sword, the wishes, you know, dispelled and, and combat ensues or, or, uh, or the sword itself is destroyed. So very cool stuff. Very, very fun and exciting, exciting stuff. So um, yeah, that pretty much wraps it up for our, for our couple episodes on Vecna. So thank you so much for listening. If you are interested in like more of this D&D lore cast content, you can go to patreon.com slash dndlorecast. We, um, with each episode, we're, our plan is to uh, release sort of like, um, like a bonus portion that uh, goes further in depth to the subject. So just stuff that we weren't able to cover in the regular episode. Uh, additionally, like any other sort of bonus episodes that like I might have up my sleeve. Like I released a, um, a Citadel of Eight bonus episode last week, and I'm currently working on a Circle of Eight bonus episode. And just, uh, like I said, anything that sort of comes up that I want to talk about and um, we might not have time for it during during the during a regular episode. So like I said, it's uh, patreon.com slash Lorecast. If you're interested in more of my content, you can find uh, the first season of Fandom University, which is sort of a um, uh, in-depth look at different uh, nerd stuff. Like we talked about like Resident Evil, we talked about the Alien movies. We talked about um, that the Tim Burton Batman movies. If uh, you're interested in that, um, I co-host that with my best friend Sean Hamill. He was the guest host last week on the D and D Lorecast. The first season is uh, wrapped up. We are finishing up with Silent Hill, 
and we'll be uh, we're taking a short break uh, while we get ready and ramp up for season two. But yeah, you can find that on Spotify, Apple, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, Linktree slash Fandom U Podcast. That's F-A-N-D-O-M-U Podcast to get all the links to all that. Um, and for Crit, for him personally, he's got uh, like I, I've just got the other little podcast that I that I do on a biweekly basis. Um, Crit's got a thousand different podcasts that he do that he does. Um, he's got Fumbling Four and the Almighty Crit, which is like his homebrew comedy D and D podcast. He's got Cyberpunk, which is their Cyberpunk uh, Cyberpunk Red live playcast. He's got Call of Cthulhu Mythos Mysteries, which is his Call of Cthulhu Seventh Edition live playcast he has got delta green scp files which is the delta green with the scp twist live playcast um the avatar journey uh uh the avatar uh journey of the elements podcast is uh on hiatus but as more material is being released for that game uh they're they're collecting it and they're ramping up to to you know start up the that that podcast again he's got um the knights of darkness the vampire the masquerade world of darkness live playcast that he's a part of uh he's got the resident evil lore cast which is much like what we do but for the resident evil franchise he's got the uh legend of zelda lore cast again like you know what we do here at the at the D lore cast but for legend of zelda and there's also a brand new mythical mysteries podcast that takes a look at uh like uh mythical beasts in the real world like sort of like uh like like unicorns or elves or you know like in sort of like talks about like a like uh well what was I gonna say like Loch Ness monster stuff like that like um so if you're interested in that you know like I said definitely check out the robots radio network um there is a text channel for all of those podcasts you can also um, email us at dndlorecast at gmail.com and we'll be happy to point you in the direction of anything that you'd be interested in. So with that being said, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with some more talk. And until then, may all your 20s be natural. Thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with a friend, following us on Twitter at dndlorecast, or jumping on the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons & Dragons. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at Robots Radio.